1: download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator
0: welcome to webcology webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies.
2: Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology on WMR.fm. It is the 16th of September, 2021. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And uh, we're joined later on today... By uh, by Lily Ray from Amps of Digital, she's going to be coming on in the in the next segment. But before we get there, it's been uh, it's been another one of those like late summer weeks in uh, search, Dave. Um, you know when things happen, but they don't really happen. <laughs> um, not a lot has gone down this week. Uh, Google is laying off on the title changes. It seems. Um, Google spent uh, much of August messing around with titles to um, better make them match the information the searcher might find on page. Um, I guess people in the SEO community got 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 kind of ticked about that. Let Google know. Google's adjusting to their concerns or needs, and um, people have been researching this. I know Rob Woods and Ryan Jones have have both been saying um, they're seeing far less title changes
3: what gives there right well i mean i I think john had had put a little like shout out going hey you can you can send me some some mistakes i know i i shared on on twitter um like them screwing up their own like for the query (laughs) google ads having the title a modern canadian approach to furniture and home like clearly it was broken a bunch of people told them do I think they're going to be amping that back up again? No pun intended with, with amp there. Um, Yes, I do. Like I, I think Google over and over and over again has shown us that they think they know our marketing better than we do. Um, You know, I, 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 I'm pretty sure they'll, they'll give it another kick at the can, but clearly this is them going, oops. Um, We, we didn't kind of look at I mean, I I would call them edge cases, but one of them is their own main source of revenue. So it's not even really an edge case that managed to to get screwed up there. Well, I mean, given Um, we were
2: seeing up to like, you know, a third of of titles out there in the wild getting changed, I don't think that's really edge case. That's kind of of mainstream,
3: eh? I meant the edge case as far as where it screws up. Um, But the, the thing is... I mean, maybe they should just give us a, a variety of options. They've actually done this fairly well in paid in some instances. It's screwed up over there too, but it tends to screw up on a on a smaller scale with less eyeballs. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, obviously they, their systems, and, and once we have Lily Ray on and, and we have a full force, we, we can then start like diving into machine learning and how machine learning systems screw up. Um, and, and I think this is just one of those cases where it just...
2: Indeed. I think I think Google, um, in fact, was admitting they don't know our marketing better than we do. Um, they know what's on page better than we, we do and may, might even be able to better describe what's there. But given they were often dropping the elements of the title statement that were put in specifically for branding purposes and marketing purposes, um, and those... Elements appear to be coming back into you know title statements as um, displayed in Google uh, search results. I think it's kind of like the exact opposite. Google's saying we don't know uh, your marketing and we're not going to make assumptions on that.
3: No, clearly, if they think that their own Google Ads landing page title is supposed to revolve around furniture and home, clearly defines <laughs> okay, well, that, and, that
2: they don't and they make their mistakes. Yeah, no doubt.
3: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm glad to see them pull back. I, I don't think, like, I, I'm pretty sure we'll see them do this again. Um, and hopefully they, you know, measure twice next time before cutting that once. <laughs>
2: Indeed. They are trying to offer a clear written guidance. Um, John Mueller has come out saying um, they're going to try to get away from what he called hand-wavy advice. And I guess that sort of mean he's gesturing at a specific Thing that somebody's asking about, and trying to offer more general. Here's what you should do in this situation. Advice. Um, if you want an outcome, you've got to do this, even if it's just a good webmaster practice, not necessarily a ranking thing or technically a requirement for for Google's algorithms. Um, what do you What do you What do you think? Should. Uh, you know, like in office hours or in Twitter, when when, when John's asked a question, um, I get the sense that he's going to start referring people to better written
3: Google Dev Docs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is the more things change, the more they say the same, right? Like this is basically harkening back to what Matt Cutts was doing. Like Matt didn't do these like live ones. And that's why John has been getting a lot of flack and constantly does. And, and we talk about it and sort of mock on this show. Um, you know, some of those instances where it's like John's saying something and I'll be like, he's telling the truth, but it ends up turning into a lie once it gets interpreted, right? Like, I don't know how many times I've had to say something like that. Like he said this, it applies to this scenario. In that context. Right up of it. Yeah, it takes, it takes it skewing. I think it'll lead to a little less of of that. At the same time, I think a lot of insights have come out of just this sort of rapid fire environment that he's been in so I hope that doesn't go away and, and I mean the you know I, I could say the same for, for Martin or Gary as well um, but just as sort of like you know here here's a question um and, and maybe with the, the the lack of polish it it's led to some some interesting insights into what, um, the way search really works or or maybe the way we should be taking it. So as much as I picked on him for where like things can be misused and that's not really his fault. And I'm more picking on the interpretation of things. I, I hope that doesn't go away entirely. I, I think providing us with concrete, here's problem X with JavaScript rendering. If you're on this platform, this is what you do. Fantastic. You'll never hear me argue that, but having this just sort of like a place where people can go and just sort of ask questions where, we might hit these things that they don't even know about, right? Like that's, that's what I hope well, doesn't go away. They're
2: not going to. They're, they're certainly not going to stop taking questions, but yeah. I'm a little worried about a loss of intimacy. I mean, like when people are giving personal answers and, and this is what I would do in your situation or, or how I interpret our corporate, our corporate policy. Um, you know, you're getting, getting a, a sense of, of who that person is. And, and you can see some like serious differences between a John Mueller and Martin Schmidt and, uh, 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 and Gary eyes and, and, you know, um, some, some, and, and I I think that's a, that's a really cool thing. Just like, like, you know, we, we made fun of Matt, but we loved him. Um, and I'm, I'm afraid of losing, losing that intimacy. But the the thing is, um, when you're dealing with a world of, of web intimacy doesn't scale on the web very well, does it?
3: Well, I, I don't know. There, there's some very popular websites that might disagree with that statement, but um yeah I mean, and, he, and, and
2: even they wanted to back away from that at one time or <laughs> another eh? um uh,
3: but you're, you're you're right like having that like I, I hope the personal touch doesn't go away but i think between the three of them they they've actually got a, a pretty good handle on that even if it's just um you know search off the record they're podcasting creating that making them human beings um approachable human beings that can field these questions um but uh but yeah, I, I mean, Matt, the thing is, Matt did it, right? Like Matt never did these open, hey, everybody ask me a question. I like may be sitting on a stage at a conference after after a session or something, but not, hey, I'm going to do like a, an open forum. Everybody ask me questions and I'll answer them. And everybody liked. like, like we, we all got that very personal sort of like, okay, he's a human. He can be a T-Rex on a video and we all can sort of like chuckle because, you know, knowingly knowing him, um, you know, hopefully they can maintain that. I have no doubt. All three of them are very personal. Um, and, and very personable so I, I, I have no doubt they'll they'll manage to hang on to that um well, you it, know it, but i mean i'm especially thinking of martin here and going there's very very pointed questions that he needs to be able to answer and i i, I hope he doesn't because he he's dealing with the most complex in my opinion, anyway, the most complicated area, which is rendering on the on the JavaScript side of things, which is the most confusing and most problematic of the areas. I hope he's still taking individual questions because that's, I think, where they're going to learn where the the failings of their own systems are. I I, I
2: just hope that uh, Gary's not reduced to saying, "Go look at this document, dumbass."
3: <laughs> I think he might just enjoy <laughs> saying that actually. <laughs> but
2: <laughs> okay, uh, we got time. We got we got Lily Ray like sitting in our equivalent of a green room so i i, I don't want to uh, delay too much i'll go one more thing on the that we just right. really ought to mention that actually is, is really good mentioning it was a uh, another john mueller note uh, i was in actually i think search engine journal I had something on it uh earlier today um and this is an obvious thing but it's worth mentioning anyway the theme that you choose, your WordPress theme, is going to have an effect on SEO. Mostly because different themes put things in different places. Things will load differently. They'll load faster or slower. Treat structured data differently. Um, again, uh, should be pretty obvious when you, when, when, you, when you just think about it. But it's absolutely worth noting, especially um, you know everyone's going through migrations and reskinning their sites, and just you know now, now that now that we're moving through the third or fourth wave depending where you live of 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 covid and businesses or the world feels like it's reopening again everyone's reskin and everything and this is you know just good stuff to think about
3: yeah i mean i i shared this out on twitter with like a yeah and and, you know in other news hitting your hand with a hammer hurts right like of course it does when you really (laughs) think about it it's like i don't know i completely painted and, and, and redecorated my entire hotel suddenly i can rent it out for for different, right? Like suddenly people's impact of this thing is going to be different. It absolutely makes sense. I do get that some people might be like a little you know, cowboyish and just running through going, Hey, I can change themes. And magically everything changes without even thinking of the fact that You know, core web vitals are a thing, right? Like, and they're going it's going to impact that. All of a sudden you're loading in like 10 new JavaScript files or something, right? Like, or or this bloated CSS, Um, you know, I mean, just to go to to the basics or, oh, it turns out it puts all of my menu items in an H3, right? Like, I mean, all of this stuff is is going to impact mean. Th- think about
2: your own practice and how many SEO cleanup jobs you get because people didn't think before they jumped,
3: right? Or didn't oh, didn't that's, that's they you know what? You're, you're very right. So, folks, it doesn't impact anything. Go, just pick a theme you like, deploy it without thinking about it. We are here for you if something goes wrong. Maybe that's the better way to say it. That. <laughs> that's right.
2: Christmas is coming.
3: You got to make us fat.
2: Exactly. <laughs> okay. We got to take, speaking of making us fat, uh, we got to take a break here at webcology because this is how WMR.fm thinks of, and by the way, um, just, just a quick note about um, webcology and WMI, WMR.fm. Um, this is how WMR makes its money. We take commercial sponsors and, um, Webcology is one of the few shows on this network that doesn't actually pay for its own production. We get paid by, um, we pay for our production by people sponsoring the show. And it's been like that for 16 years now. And uh, we really want to continue that way. But we've never actually gone out looking for, uh, <laughs> looking for sponsors. Um, yeah, so. Think of this as uh, the very first step of us going out and looking for sponsors for Webcology on Webmaster Radio or WMR.FM. Um, yeah, got to be doing that. But un- until you or your company comes along to sponsor Webcology on WMR, this is the kind of thing that, that you're going to get to hear. Folks, we got to take a break. On behalf of Dave Davis from Beanstalk Candidate Marketing, this is Jim Hedge from Digital Always Media. We're coming back with Lily Ray after these messages. Webcology takes you to the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the Internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Webcology on WMR.fm. It's the 16th of September, 2021. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And, uh, you know, a decade ago, today's guest would have been called an SEO rock star. I'm not sure that description works for the industry anymore, and actually, I'm really not sure how much she herself identifies with rock and roll, but right now, it is safe to call her an SEO superstar. Lily Ray is a Brooklyn-based SEO. She's also a techno DJ and a drummer. She's the senior director of SEO at Amsif Digital, which is formerly Path Interactive, where she also heads organic research efforts. Lily's written extensively on SEO and is currently probably most identified with her ideas on E-A-T. You can find her column at Search Engine Journal and read her quoted in a bunch of different places. As an organic researcher, she's interested in the mechanisms of of the environments and ecosystems that make up search. And last week, she wrote a pretty cool piece on machine learning and Google discovery for the of digital blog. Lily, we should have had you here long ago, but uh, please accept a belated welcome to Webcology.
0: Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for that nice intro.
2: Well, well, thank you so much. do you identify with rock and roll, or do you identify with techno?
0: Oh, God, that's a big question. I, I was a rock and roll teenager. That was like my life. Like, I was going on tour, I was playing big shows, and I still drummed to this, to this day, but I kind of switched to more of a techno lifestyle like 10 yeah. years ago.
2: Okay, but if we called you an SEO rock star, you'd be, you'd be all down I'm with that, down. I'm not offended
0: eh? by that. I'll take it.
2: <laughs> okay, because... You are certainly um, one of the more well-known SEOs in the field right now, and um, that stems from um, the work you've been doing, identifying or, or defining um, expertise, authoritativeness, and uh, trustworthiness, um, um, the factors of EAT. Um, how much impact do you think Google's look at Quality and intent of content has had on uh, search rankings over the last, say, five to five to, to, to ten years.
0: A massive impact, bigger than anything else. Honestly, well, it, used to be
2: all, it used to be all links. I mean, like 2007 yeah. to 2012, it was all links, 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 and then you know where they were coming from. Content seemed to slip in quality, but the last seven years, it's been a singular focus Mm -hmm. can't guarantee the
0: content's gotten any better. Um, Yeah. And they're not mutually exclusive either. Like I think that links are a big part of EAT. Like Google's confirmed that. So it's hard to fake, you know, a high quality, highly authoritative link profile. So that's one of the things that they're considering, but absolutely there's a whole other suite of things that they look at beyond just links for EAT.
2: When people, when people think about EAT, they think about their own web documents or they think about other people's web documents. What do you think about when you think about EAT?
0: (laughs) A lot of things. Um, I mean, what I've been seeing more and more of is that actual demonstrated expertise is something that drives performance and SEO. So more and more it's like, and also authoritativeness. And then Google has, it seems to be the case that Google has these signals that like, especially during times of crisis, like a pandemic, they, you know, increase the importance of authoritativeness, which is actually something they say in a lot of their documentation. And they're basically trying to mitigate fake news and misinformation. And I think that EAT is completely in tandem with those initiatives that they're doing across a variety of different Google products. So there's bigger factors at play that are driving this this change or these changes that are, they're making to the algorithms.
2: So what does Google want of webmasters when it comes to establishing expertise or authority or sorry authoritativeness
0: so uh, I think what Google's really going up against obviously number one which is not anything new but they they're trying to combat spam online and I think spam takes a variety of form formats you know people publish a lot of content for SEO purposes maybe it has affiliate links on it and it's just not high quality content and they're grappling with this problem they've been dealing with it for a very long time and that's not necessarily always spam but there's a lot of like low quality content out there and sites that have benefited from seo for so many years and made a lot of money off seo without really providing helpful content and specifically with like your money your life content medical content if you look at a lot of the content that people used to rank for in like even 2018 before the medic update it's like dangerous content. It's like dangerous medical advice, you know, how to lose five pounds in two days, like things that are like not, you know, endorsed by medical professionals or in line with scientific consensus or things that are safe for users to read. Um, So the the whole criteria of what it takes to rank in those categories, the Your Money, Your Life categories, I think has changed quite a bit over the past few years.
2: And um, how do, should... um... Website owners or webmasters um, react to the, the changes like Google. Like again, how do how do um, I establish that my client is has expertise um, in in this field? Do I do it by working on their content, or does it does that include um, outside factors?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So this is where things get a little bit subjective because Google. The only real guidance they've given us are a couple different documents that provide a handful of different questions that we're supposed to ask when reviewing content quality, almost from the perspective of a search quality evaluator. But it's really just like, you know, how can you demonstrate throughout the content that the people that are producing the content or informing or reviewing the content actually have real credentials to do so? So who are those people? Are you listing their names? Are you providing some biography about them? You know, where do they go to school? What are their credentials? So it's especially when it comes to like, you know, legal advice, financial advice, medical advice, that's necessary at this point. But I think beyond that, there's also a lot of issues with sites, again, that like try to publish on too many different topics. They try to write about things that they're not actually experts in because they just want the SEO traffic and Google's cracking down on that. So We try to work with our clients to identify what are the true areas of EAT that the site or the brand actually demonstrates and making sure that we're focusing primarily in those areas, not going too much outside of our wheelhouse and then just putting all the transparency signals that we possibly can on the page and on the site about who wrote it and what is our process for reviewing that content.
3: I have two directions I want to go. And I I'm having a hard time like trying to figure out which one do I want to hear the answer to more. Um, because it's it's not often that I I get to just like ask the source of or like one of the top authorities on, on this subject. Um, so I, I'm gonna go with with sort of the the lower level one in their in their guidelines, like their the reviewer sort of guidelines. Um, one of the examples they give that I find interesting because you were talking about medical, is like we have authoritative, like you know, the, the people that are the doctors that are publishing and, and they're, you know, years of experience. And they're talking about like their COVID studies or, or whatever, where you need that, that high, high, high level of authoritativeness. And then they talk about the relevancy of say, if the question relates to living with somebody and, and, and the, the sort of grief and, and work around, um, you know, your, your spouse has like cancer or something and, and that challenge and that the authority actually is just somebody who's, they might be a, A teacher or a garbage person, but they've lived with the same Mm -hmm. thing. How, how does Google deal with that? Like how, how do they, how do their systems understand that just because I'm talking about liver cancer, right. That, that I don't need something authoritative. I just need something answered. Is it, is it the format of the page? Is it like, how would I understand what type of content they're trying to to get Hmm. um, out of that?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I think you're referring to the part of the guidelines when they say like you can have everyday expertise on a topic because you have cancer or you have a chronic illness or whatever like that that makes you have EAT on that topic. Um, but I don't know that that's sufficient to be able to rank for a lot of those keywords anyway because what Google's doing is especially like right now, it seems to be the case that sometimes they turn up the dials in terms of how important authoritativeness is in the rankings. And right now seems to be one of those moments when authoritativeness is like trumping all other ranking signals for a lot of different keywords. Um, And this happened last year too, when COVID was really, really bad during the summer, where it was like the FDA and the CDC rank for everything in the Mayo Clinic. And like, you just can't compete for these keywords. But, you know, to your point, I think that Google says there's a way to have subject matter expertise on a topic because it's something that you live and breathe every day. So like if there's a forum or a personal blog or a place where people are sharing stories of having fibromyalgia or whatever the case may be, that's there's nothing low quality about that. That's someone's right. individual experience. But I think that when it comes to who gets to rank, it's generally going to be a variety of the authorities themselves, so like hospitals, government institutions, and then there's these very, very high authority medical publishers like the WebMDs and Healthlines of the world that take up the rest of the spots on page one. And beyond that, it's very hard to rank for almost anything medical nowadays.
3: So question, and it gets asked a lot, but never answered. Well, I'm sure it has been answered properly, but uh, often it doesn't get answered properly. We hear John Mueller come out or, or whomever coming out saying, EAT isn't a ranking signal. Okay, fair enough. It's like a set of guidelines that they give to reviewers, and those reviewers don't directly impact rankings. So walk us through the mechanics of why are they doing it then, and how does it influence, I I guess, how does it influence rankings, even though it's not directly influencing
0: rankings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... The way that it generally works is that EAT is the scoring metric or the criteria that search quality evaluators are supposed to think about as they're reviewing content during Google's, you know, experimentations where they're seeing how well the search results are meeting the needs of users. And they conduct these tests constantly throughout the year with many different search quality evaluators. And they use, again, EAT as the criteria. And they say this is a high EAT page, low EAT. And but theoretically, that informs, you know, the algorithms that Google then goes and factors that data back in and, you know, launches these algorithm updates with the new data that they've collected. And so theoretically, these things are being recalibrated all the time just based on actual user feedback. And then I guess the machine learning takes off after that point and just finds, you know, different aspects of the page that lend themselves to high or low EAT. Um, but You know, they keep it pretty vague for a reason. I think that Google doesn't want to see a bunch of SEOs going out there and trying to spam all the confirmed EAT signals, because that would obviously lead to disastrous consequences.
2: (laughs) Well, we would never suggest anybody go out and spam anything on this show. That's just not cool. But (laughs) if somebody did want to leave some obvious signals lying around, you know, hey Google, go look over this way, or hey Google, you might want to be aware of this. What would they do? I guess maybe a better way to phrase this is how does Google know that the person who wrote this content has expertise or the cred to be uh, any any authoritativeness? Do they know the person ahead of time, or like, like Google knows all of us? How how, do they, yeah. how how do they make that connection?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is what I've been like trying. I've been going down a rabbit hole for the past few years trying to answer that question, and there's a there's a lot of answers to it. So number one is they've had this authorship initiative that's gone through a variety of different iterations over you know 15 years or whatever they used to have rel author and they have the knowledge graph and now they have a new development this year was that they're connecting the knowledge graph to actual authors in organic search and actually showing latest articles that they've written for some journalists on the knowledge panel so that's a good indication that they're trying to connect the dots between organic search and the knowledge graph Um, but i also think like people tend to over tend to oversimplify like EAT concepts and saying like oh google has no idea who my author is therefore you know there's this page has no EAT or whatever but they're using much more i think they're using a lot more sophisticated technology than that to analyze whether something is authoritative i think they're able to actually use natural language processing to identify this is an authoritative piece of content. You know, we, this is how scientists tend to write about the topic compared to a lay person. You know, they have patents that actually show that they can do this with, with content on the page. They can classify whether it was written by an expert or a lay person. So I think they're capable of a lot more than people give them credit for.
2: This is just a pet theory of mine. And, and, and listeners, this is just a pet theory of mine. Um, I always figure that Google um, looks at language and language that use um, there's a professional in this field is going to phrase things a certain way. And if it's phrased that way, chances are it lends credibility to the, the author who wrote it. Um, am I barking up the wrong tree there?
0: I don't think so at all. I think that that's exactly what they're doing. I think that like they can take a set of, you know, content or data or information that was written by experts and kind of evaluate, like, what are the things that are mentioned on in this article? What are the different elements that are considered? What citations does it point to? You know, what links does it point to? And that's something I've been digging into a lot with the last couple of core updates, because I've noticed if a lot of these publisher sites that talk, about health topics or financial topics or whatever are all linking back to the same source. I've seen in many cases that that source is actually performing better than ever. So it's interesting. I think uh, there's a lot of different elements of the page that Google expects to they expect to see of a highly authoritative piece of content.
2: Okay, well now SEOs, webmasters you know, are kind of control freaks. Like, So I guess the only thing they can really, really really control aside from where the link exactly is placed is the anchor text used to phrase the link. So what role does anchor text play?
0: I think it's a pretty big role. I mean, it's something that we work on with all of our clients, Um, you know, both internally and externally, just making sure that you're adding the right context as part of the anchor link. Uh, A lot of people have a tendency to just use one word or God forbid, like read more, learn more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is always part of my audits and like guys can you change that um hard to say exactly what impact it has but i think there's a lot of different studies that are out there that show that it's pretty beneficial so i always recommend that
2: when uh if if, if, if you were giving advice to a we're, we're going to take a break in a second so i want, I want to phrase this one really quickly if you were giving advice to a client and um you really had one piece of advice around DAT then they needed the needle move somehow and I know there's no magic bullets I'm not trying to set you up for that kind of a magic bullet answer or anything but if you had to give them a piece of advice and they needed to do something quickly um what would that be
0: um I mean, the the most obvious example is just making sure that your articles have the names of the person that wrote them and then some information about the person that wrote them. But I would also encourage sites to look at their entire portfolio of content that they've produced. In many cases, sites have too much content, and some of that content might be working against them in ways that they don't realize. It's almost like baggage that they've had for a long time. Too much content too much content is like a very consistent problem in sites that I think suffer from EAT problems.
2: You know what we're going to have to we are going to have to explore that but we have to take a when we get back I'm afraid we have to take a few moments to uh take another break here on uh, webcology on WMR.fm. so friends you are listening to webcology on WMR.fm, it was uh, recorded live to podcast on September 16th 2021 before we go to break a uh, quick note COVID is still real. The Delta variant is ravaging across North America and around the world right now. We have a way to protect ourselves and our communities. is called vaccination. Go out and get vaccinated. It may offend your ideology, but that doesn't matter. Keeping people alive and keeping the ICU units open is infinitely more important than how you feel about what you think. Just go out and do it. Billions of people have done it, and um, you know what? They have the benefit of not getting desperately sick from COVID. Please, for for, for the sake of all of our communities and for our economy, just go do the right thing. Okay, friends, you're listening to Webcology on WMR.fm. It is 16th of September 2021. Stick around. We're back with Lily Ray after these messages. Webcology takes you to the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are
0: the hosts Jim Hedger
2: and Dave Davies. Friends, we are back from commercial with Lily Ray from oh, the
0: Digital.
2: No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I thought <laughs> Brasco was I thought Braska was trying to break in there. Uh, I'm going to re- I'm just gonna whole restart that whole thing. Um and we're back from break with uh, Lily Ray from Ants of Digital. It's the 16th of September, 2021. This is Jim Edgman from Digital Always Media and Dave Davis from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And uh, Lily, the the like I said, when, when when we came into the show, we should have had you on the show a long, a long, long, long time ago. But the reason I, uh, I reached out to you last week when you were down in Costa Rica, no, incidentally, uh, was because of a, a piece that you put in the Ants of Digital um insight blog um, on uh, google discover and its relationships with uh, with with eat and with machine learning and um, i really i really enjoyed the article i'm becoming fascinated with uh, google discover and and, and uh, the new bing alternative google discover um, <laughs> more more though i'm 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 really interested in why and how google or, or Bing push pieces to users on their mobile devices um, in this newsfeed sort of format, rather than having the, the users go out and, and find the stuff themselves. How does that happen? Like, like, how and why?
0: Well, it's Google's take on basically curating a list of content that's very like Facebook-esque in nature for users, just based on the you know incredible vast amount of data that they have for each individual you know gmail user or google user they're able to curate like to a t things that are very interesting for users so it's it's very different than search in a way but what's nice about it is that it it's organic traffic right like for sites that have eligibility to appear in google discover that can send more organic traffic than search itself so that's why i'm particularly excited about it over the last couple years because it's like wow we have some clients that are getting more traffic from Discover than SEO.
2: First thing you said is people who are eligible to be in Google Discover. So what, what does one have to be to be in Google Discover?
0: So technically it can be any site. Um, you need to have a certain meta tag about uh, you know max preview size for your images is 1,200 pixels. You need to have a 1,200 pixel or greater image on the page. Um, but beyond that, you know, if assuming you don't have anything that's like hateful content, harassing content, violent content, anything like that, technically any site should be eligible. Um, But that being said, and what I was trying to get at in the article is like, (laughs) what's interesting about Google's guidelines is that they seem to contradict a little bit what's actually happening in reality with what shows up in Google Discover. But generally speaking, it's highly emotional content. The type of things you might see in your Facebook feed or at least before Facebook started cracking down on clickbait um but for lack of a better word there's a lot of clickbait people discover despite what they say the best i was about to
2: say what's the veracity of this content then like like how how quote unquote um trustworthy is it
0: i think it's trustworthy it's more just a question of like google's been pretty aggressive in the last few years about sites not using clickbait headlines in different areas of search so like top stories in Google News, like you can even get a manual action for having clickbait headlines, especially if the content doesn't deliver what the person was expecting to get from the title of the article. Um, But what the data is showing, according to, you know, 12,000 URLs that I just analyzed, is it's basically clickbait. And it's not to say that, you know, the clients that we work with don't provide value on the page, because they do. But the way that they're structuring the headlines is you know, you'll never believe this one thing that happened to blah, blah, blah. Like, that's that's what ranks in Google Discover. It's just a fact. You
2: okay, know, this is being driven by machine learning, right?
0: I believe so, yes. It I don't know is, exactly which signals are using, but yeah.
2: Okay, so, so, so is the craptastic nature of content that's coming into Google Discover now related to the machine just learning as it goes along? Is it going to get better as the machine's uh, as this 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 brain gets exposed to uh to, to to more ideas, more content, and more importantly, learns the use learns the users better.
0: Well, I think if the if they're measuring against engagement, and people clicking on the articles, this is what's making people click. So it's like, you know, they say they want high EAT content, they say they don't want clickbait, but like. That's what's making people click in Google Discover. So I don't really understand why they keep contradicting themselves. But In other <laughs> what words, it takes if, you, well.
2: if you want better news coverage, stop watching crappy news, but until you stop watching crappy news, you're going to get crappy news coverage. Well,
0: Something Google like News that. is a separate product. So it's like Google News can be the place that you go for news. Google Discover is the feed of content that's relevant to your life. And it happens to be the case that people like celebrity content and they like pet content, and it's not news. It's just like Fun, lighthearted stuff in their discover feed,
3: And I think I that's a that's a big differentiator of the the discover. And it's funny you 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 caught it, Lily, and and percent uh, 100 right. I keep calling it discovery because every time I go into Google Ads, it's called the Discovery Network and so yep. Different I, products.
0: I, I
2: think, yeah, My team yeah, always and, says that too.
3: It's a different thing, and yes, it goes to discover, but it also includes some other things in in ads. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe Discover is where we go to realize our real selves we can go to news when we see the version of ourselves that we wish we were.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just wish that Google would like allow Discover to work the way that it's working right now. Like, I don't love clickbait, but if that's what people want in their feed, let that be in their feed. Right now, they're starting to send manual actions to sites because of clickbait, and in fact... Are, one of my clients has received it and it's like it's not clickbait, it's just punchy headlines that perform really well in Discover. So you're telling us to do one thing and you know, showing completely different results in, in the Discover feed. So it's it's a weird area of of search right now that I think Google's still working on. I mean, they clearly read my article, they were engaging with my article on on Twitter. Like this is very interesting stuff. <laughs> so we'll see what happens.
3: So Google obviously likes buggering about with titles now. Would there be a case for going, you need to let me come up with a couple different titles. Here's my one for Google search and news where it'll be like all nice and clean and shiny. And this is the one for discover when people go when they're just in the mood to see like some crazy yeah, pet videos. Like That's what I love about discover is just like where you're catching people where they have nothing to do.
0: I wish they would. I wish that they would give us. So they have OG tags for that reason. And I work with publisher clients where it's like, this is your Facebook headline this is your SEO headline. And they're two very different headlines. But now we have discover, which is also a different can of worms and seems to work in different ways. It's very hard to write something that's both good for SEO and good for Google discover, just based on what we're seeing performs really well in Google discover.
3: So would there be a case for going, you know what? It's actually closer to OG. Let's go that route. Like discover, just, just pull out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But there's no tag to tell Google use this title, use that title or don't index this in search, index this in discover or vice versa. So I hope they come out with those tags soon.
3: Interesting. Now let's pretend you're like, a. I shouldn't, I was going to say a real company, but I'm like, I'm thinking like a nuts and bolts company, not like a publisher where your content is the product, but your, where your product is, I don't know. You create blue you widgets. widgets. Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is yeah. there a place in discover for you there? And, and, and how would you utilize it? Like with publishers, it's very easy. The, the click is the thing. Right. Um, but if you're actually just trying to get like, is Google good at targeting an audience in that way and, and getting your content in front of people who might be in more an acquisition mode or, or potentially, what I love about Discover, be easily distracted over to an acquisition mode. Uh, yeah showed them something cool
0: yeah there's there's plenty of types of pages and content that aren't just like clickbait articles that show up in discover which is one nice thing about it like if somebody's been searching for a little black dress and they've been searching for it for a week it's entirely possible that a bunch of little black dress product or category pages will show up in your discover feed so in that sense it's nice because it's actually kind of open to any type of publisher or e-commerce website or company to have content appear there just based on their audience and what their audience is looking for. And another nice thing about it is that we have clients, for example, um, like a pet insurance client where they have a lot of content about specific medical conditions and a pet that overcame some obscure illness or something like that. And it never does well in SEO because who's searching for like, (laughs) you know, Bill the dog, like survived this rare form of cancer, like no one's searching for that but it does so well in Google Discover because it's almost like, you know, the Dodo, for example, it's like this fun, lighthearted pet content and it sends t- tons of traffic. So it's, it's like a two-pronged content strategy when done effectively, where like the, the stuff that does well in Discover doesn't necessarily do well in search and vice versa. Um, I just wish that they would allow us to have, again, like some type of tags or crawling directives to siphon the traffic accordingly.
2: You know, somewhere two weeks from now, some kid in Macedonia is going to be listening to a, to a clip of, uh, of this exact broadcast and go, oh, my God, there's a business there. Hmm. Is there?
0: Well, it's up to Google ultimately, right? Like, okay. if, if they allow us to segment out the content in that way, I really hope they do. I've been starting to raise the flag about it. And I, I just, it's because of these manual actions that it's really a problem. If you're going to be sending companies manual actions because certain content on their site is to clickbaity, and that could potentially get all of their content removed from Google Discover. It's tricky to like handle that just for Discover and like, you know, whatever you do right now, it's, it's going to be like if you no-index something, it's no-index for both search and Discover simultaneously. So it's, it's okay. hard to, yeah. So if you screw
2: up, you're kind of screwed.
0: You can get removed from Discover entirely, which is pretty devastating for some sites, yeah.
2: Let's shift gears a little bit. We um we're 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 getting into our like last ten minutes, so um this is this is always when we think of the really good questions that that you can have a, a you know long answer for. Um, machine learning is playing a greater role in um all facets of of search and local in uh, uh straight up organic in in, in discover etc. Um, we've seen a uh, summer and I suspect we're going to see an early autumn of rapid changes at Google. Like we had the, the, the August of five major um, algo shifts. How much of that is the introduction of new ways of learning and perceiving the websites themselves? Not not, not ranking sites, but just learning about what the sites are about. What, what do you, what do you reckon?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the larger trend, right? I think that this title change You know, it was interesting because I had some people like, oh, you're too focused on the nitty-gritty. You should think about the big picture. I'm like, this is the big picture. This is Google using machine learning to like determine that it knows our content better than we do and failing spectacularly in the process. (laughs) That's that's how I saw it. Of course, they're very good at it in many cases and they're getting better at it and they're refining things. But I think it's scary. You know, first it's our titles and what's next? Yeah. Almost
2: it almost feels like, like like we're in an intellectual arms race with Google and you know clearly they're far better armed than many of us are. Um how should SEOs or and Webmasters, the web community in general, prepare for a machine learning future? What are how do we humans need to think to um present info to machines in ways that they get it?
0: Yeah. Well, a couple different things. I mean, obviously, you know, structuring your data, like using structured data, structuring your content well, um, thinking about like, you know, having tables of contents and, uh, you know, posing headlines like as questions and answering things very directly. I think reducing ambiguity is really important when you're producing content. Um, But beyond that, you know, how do we stay ahead of the curve? I think one thing I talk a lot about in my talks is the machine learning is using data sets that already exist, right? Like this is the data that we're working with and what they, do, what they can't do, what they can't emulate is actual expert contributions that come from a human expert brain. So as much as possible, try to work with experts when you're producing content who can provide insights that they experience day to day in their, in their roles and in their fields to add that content in, not just to say like, oh, we have to have these keywords on the page because the SEO keyword research tool told us we need this keyword. Just like provide the content that actually answers the question based on what the real expert is telling you, because that's creating new content that maybe hasn't been um, like analyzed or processed before by SEO keyword research tools or Google's algorithms or whatever the case may be. But I think that's really important.
3: I love some of the things that you're you, you were saying there, right? Like fr- phrasing your heading tags as questions and things like that. I, I, I think that's that's brilliant. I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to help our, our listeners, but that's a super handy tip. So hopefully they they all they all take it. One of the things that was in your article, and I think you were sort of alluding to it um, in, in that answer um, in the article that, that you wrote on Discover. Um, one of your your points was focus on entities, um, and then here when you were chatting, you're like they're just talking about keywords. When you're saying focus on entities, are you thinking of focusing more on entities instead of keywords as a as a machine learning concept, or is mm-hmm. it two, like as as well as, or or which would you be looking at if you could only pick one of those two data sources?
0: Well, entities, because I think keywords as we know them have changed a lot. Um, over the past several years as Google's gotten more sophisticated. So it understands synonyms, it understands, you know, different ways of describing the same thing. It understands when you said one thing and meant another. So um, doing traditional keyword research is great, but like there's so many other keywords and and phrases and everything that need to be on the page for something to be like, yes, this is expert content about
3: a given entity. And and so I guess you know what I. I So many that This is always what happens in the last few minutes. Um, okay, so I mean the the regular audience is, is is used to like hearing me like drone on about entities, but they've heard my definition. Um, when, when you're saying entities, what is it, and and how is Google connecting the dots between different things? Like if we're focusing on that over keywords, how does Google understand what they should be seeing?
0: I mean, I think uh, you can use like just their knowledge graph lookup tool, like the Carl Hendy knowledge graph lookup tool is a great place to start and just type in your person, place, or thing, or event, or whatever, and see if it exists in Google's knowledge graph. That's a good place to start. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a defined person, place, or thing, or event, and, and you know, it's disambiguated from other such entities that might share the same name. So if you have two Lily Rays, which is the case, and, you know, <laughs> one does one thing and one does another, it's like just, you know, using as many signals as you possibly can to substantiate, this is the person or entity that I'm talking about. These are the attributes of that person. This is who they're connected to. So whether it's through the content itself and or through structured data, just building that up as much as possible through your internal linking and the website structure and everything, that's, that's going to be really important.
3: It's funny, it sounds a lot like taking lessons that local SEOs have been doing for years with the NAP system or Mm -hmm. NAPS, I guess not really a system, but with like name, address, phone number and and sort of pulling it into generalized SEO and going, ah, my job now is to reinforce that I am the Lily Ray, right? Like I am this one and all the signals need to point back to this version of me as, and yours must be fine because you're a notable DJ and SEO, right? Like, so you've got like two sort of notabilities around you. Yes exactly
0: um, exactly to your point you know using every available data source that you can to confirm information that you know is consistent I think is going to be really important so all the different places that you're mentioned online all your structured data everything should be as consistent as possible because last thing you need is uh, Google mistaking you for someone else in the knowledge graph or pulling up some horrible old photo which we have to deal with with our clients sometimes. <laughs> or connecting you with people also search for and then having someone really horrible appear there, which has happened to me before too. <laughs> so just get everything as buttoned up as you can to avoid those issues.
2: Okay, we have uh, almost gone around full clock. I know, I know Lily at the top of the, the hour, you have, you have a phone call that you can't avoid. So we got to get off the air any second now. Um, you still have 30 seconds or so. Is there any bits, bits of wisdom that you would want to give webmasters on the way out?
0: I would say if you're not focusing on content quality and EAT above pretty much everything else, assuming you don't have any massive technical problems, you should probably reprioritize your SEO efforts because from my perspective, those are the most important things to focus on nowadays, much more so than, sorry to say, like Core Web Vitals, things like that. Um, so <laughs> focus on the bigger picture because you can't avoid it.
2: Okay. that's. That's that's it. We have gone full stop around, and this has been a really fun hour. Uh, Lily Ray, senior director of SEO at Amps of Digital and uh, techno DJ extraordinaire. Thank you so much for 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 offering us your time and spending your time on on web calls you today. We are going to have you back sometime a lot sooner than uh, than never before. Promise. Um, <laughs>
0: Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun.
2: Friends, you have been listening to Webcology on WMR.fm. This was recorded live to podcast on the 16th of September, 2021. As I said earlier, COVID's real. Go get vaccinated. Um, do your part to, to, to protect yourself, your family, your neighbors, and uh, our entire society and economy. Just go do it. Stick around, WMR. we got some more great content coming up after these messages. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedge from Digital Always Media. Be well, rank well, be kind to each other, and we'll talk to you next week.
3: The opinions expressed in this WMR.FM program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WMR.FM. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program
1: without proper consent is prohibited.